0: Kanangara, trumpeter, teacher, composer, vocalist, activist, and all around amazing person, sat down with me from her home in Toronto and we talked about so many interesting subjects from teaching to performing to being true and authentic to culture and heritage and it was such a joyful joyful and playful conversation and I really appreciate Tara's vulnerability and her insightfulness and just her presence throughout the whole conversation it was such a thrill and it seemed very apt that this be the final podcast the final interview for 21 a great way to cap off an amazing year I hope you enjoy as much as I did My conversation with Tara Kanagara
1: What is it? I seek you as what it is. I seek you now what it is. I hear you now.
0: Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Tara, thanks so much for joining me this morning. It's great to meet you.
2: Yeah, it's great to meet you too. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yay, yeah, this is super exciting. Mm-hmm. I love your hat, by the way. That's really Thank
2: you. <laughs> I love a hat, you know? I, I'm I'm one of those people that wears hats indoors, and uh, yeah. maybe maybe at times where a hat is not called for, but.
0: Yeah, there's like a it. really cool, uh, I guess it must be a promo photo of you with a really stylish ball cap on from like some cool designer.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I really love that hat too. And I, um, I don't know why I am drawn to hats. I remember someone telling me a long time ago, don't wear a hat. It's a barrier. It's like a barrier between you and the audience. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, like, like someone taking it very seriously. The idea of me wearing a hat. And oh I, wow. I just had to be like, but I like it. So I'm just going to, yeah. I'll wear it. If I roll like
0: with it. it. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's cool. So how, how have you been? How is, how's your pandemic going, gone?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it has been very productive, transformative, Mm. you know, and I also am someone who has had the opportunity and privilege of being safe in the pandemic.
0: Mm.
2: Not everyone um, has been. So yeah. For me, it was a lot of time off to think and to kind of reimagine my relationship with music and with creation and with my community and having that time to really examine my feelings about the work I do and how it affects other people. Mm. It was very helpful. And, uh, you know, also being alone in a room... Uh, by yourself or with, you know, your partner, like it can be very confronting, like not necessarily with like my partner, but just when there's nothing to do, (laughs) 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 what, 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 where do you, where do you go? Like you, you go inside, you go inside your brain and you just think a little bit harder about things. And then, Mm. um, it's, it's kind of, it was very revelatory for me having that time to think,
0: you know, wow. What was transformative about it for you?
2: Well, a few things, (laughs) a few things were transformative. I think the first would be that before the pandemic, I was really used to engaging with music and the business of music in a very specific way. Mm. And maybe in a way that is kind of promoted to artists who are, putting music out there. It's like you put out an album, then you print up, promote the album, then you tour the album and then oh there's the next album cycle comes and then you have to get a publicist. And it's this kind of like hamster wheel of promotion mm. within within North America and Canada specifically. And just this anxiety of always feeling like I had to do something. I had to mm. show people I was doing something. I had to um constantly legitimize my place in the the music world. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether it was through social media or through playing shows or to being seen at shows, um, which I always found incredibly exhausting um, Mm. because of how impatient that process is. But I felt like I had to because everyone else was. And then when everything just shut down, I was in the camp of people that was really happy to not have to do that stuff. I, I was, you know, and that's, again, yeah. another privileged thing to say because people are touring and if yeah. you can't tour, that's an income lost. And that's um, a very sad thing. But um, I kind of realized through the pandemic, I don't really have to do anything. <laughs> like there's a lot I don't have to do. Um, yeah, and um, And I could still feel fulfilled with my music and with how I create art separate Mm -hmm. from that and that was a good realization like I don't need to do those things to feel like I'm an artist I can do that in my room and still love it and not necessarily require a result or like um like I can enjoy the process more than the Mm. results I guess and that was you know I'm happy to have learned that about myself you know yeah so that was the (laughs) one it's a Um, big one that's a big one, yeah. It's a big one um, because now I just approach music making and releasing music to the world. I, I, I approach it much differently now. It's like a lot more thoughtful and a lot more patient, hmm. and um, I don't feel the need to be seen as much as I as I used to feel, I guess. Sure. Um, and then I guess the second thing was kind of a larger transformation in the sense that, you know, a lot of things happened during the pandemic, a lot of things, Yeah, and, a, lot you know, of like, things. a lot of upheavals. Yeah. And for me, I think my engagement with advocacy and community work and social justice kind of just all of a sudden took off because of like some harrowing events, mm. um, like with the murder of George Floyd, I, there was just, I remember that week just, uh, going through like this really intense time as -hmm. many people were all, were all over the world, you know, everyone was affected by it. And, um, and then I just started to like voraciously read about everything. Like that was just like the beginning of my like really thorough journey into, social justice. I was, I I often say this when like a baby activist, like it was like I've always been like politically inclined, but kind of behind mm-hmm. closed doors and in a more academic way. Mm-hmm. I was like afraid to stand for something. Um, mm. and then when all that stuff was going on, I was like, oh you gotta do some work here. You have to really examine this. And as a brown woman too, a lot of feelings came up for me like going back in time and reliving certain events that were really challenging as a kid, but kind of deciding to be okay with it—you just kind mm-hmm. of move along. You can't get upset. Um. But yeah. But you go back and you realize actually those things really um, affected the way you move about the world, and in not the best way. Yeah. So I felt really compelled to do a lot of work within my own jazz community too, like in the Mm -hmm. music community at large to make that more of a conversation, particularly within, um, institutions that teach music and jazz, having that be a priority, Mm -hmm. really considering where the music is coming from and, um, and i really i really went hard for that and i still do actually it's a mm. huge part of my life it has not it's not something that has slowed down it's mm. something i think about every day actually <laughs> every yeah, day it kind of sure. just swirls in my mind yeah. so yeah a lot of big changes i would say you know yeah yeah
0: so what did that look like at so you teach at university of toronto and you are you also teaching at humber
2: I am teaching at Humber and, um, I teach at U of T, but I've, I've recently resigned actually. Oh, I wow. I resigned. Yeah. I
0: That's huge. <laughs> it's
2: a big <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, because I just found it to be incredibly challenging to be there okay. after a lot of the work that I did with my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't want to be judgmental to the people who are still there. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of really amazing people that teach there. Um, but you know, I really entered the process of kind of bringing more awareness to equity issues. I, I really like, I, I really went hard for it. And I, I was pretty naive about the process, I think, because I was a baby activist. I'm like, well, people are going <laughs> to love these great ideas sure. that are not my ideas. They're really old ideas, sadly, right. that have not been implemented in yeah. music programs. Um, and, uh, and it's not even just about racism, but sexism, ableism, mm-hmm. kind of the heteronormativity, kind of these words that people are kind of more aware of now that maybe they weren't, you know. A few mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really thought that people would be very excited about making these large-scale changes within these programs. Mm. I was so gung-ho. I would enter these meetings, equity meetings, smiling, excited at the prospect of change. And I still am a glass-half-full person.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, But I was sad to see that there are many people who do not want that type of change. Hmm. Um, And that was really hard for me to reckon with. It was a big lesson, Um, a huge lesson, actually, because you can really go in there presenting these ideas. You can go in there presenting facts and articles and you know anecdotal evidence and um stories from experiences of people of color you can like bring in all of this stuff like Mm. truckloads of it and still if someone doesn't believe in it because it really does come down to that belief if someone doesn't believe in it it's done like (laughs) that's like it doesn't matter how much evidence you show and it doesn't matter um it doesn't matter how eloquently you put it. Sometimes, yeah, if people aren't ready, they're just not. Um, and that's not to say that so people, true. yeah, like that's not to say that people aren't willing to change or don't see some of the issues. But I think the amount of, of which, or the like, the amount of change I was hoping for, I think people were just too uncomfortable with,
0: you know. It was too much for them, maybe.
2: A little bit. Yeah. yeah, so I decided to leave. Uh, not so much because you know I'm like ah, I hate that place. I'm not going to go. But <laughs> it's it's not so much that. It's more like I've changed a lot as an artist and what I'm looking for. And, and even sure. as I, the way I teach is a lot different now. Mm. And, and I want to do it in a place where I feel comfortable and safe, um, and that I can kind of stand behind ethically. Yeah. And it's not to say that institutions are, there's going to be a pure institution out there. Like, yeah. it just doesn't exist. Like, it no. doesn't.
3: Nope.
2: <laughs> you know, it's not, um, there are problems everywhere. But I think with U of T, it was just a deeper wound because I have a lot of personal history there, having uh, been yeah. a student there myself. Um, yep. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I stepped away. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> yeah.
0: very, that took a lot of courage, I imagine, to do that.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny people say that, um, and I used to say, "Oh no, <laughs> it's not, just, count just it." Yeah, I was like pretty ready to move on from the yeah. the feeling of it. I was like, "No, no, no." It's just like you know, I, I would always kind of try to throw something in front of that statement. I would say. Oh, but I'm so lucky to have, like, even when, it was how I started this podcast of, like, <laughs> I'm so privileged to have been in a place that I was able to, like, all of those yeah. things, like, kind of covering my bases. Mm. Um, but uh, the amount of stuff that I kind of went through through that process, a lot of it was really bad. Mm. And a lot of it was traumatic. Mm. And I am still... Dealing with that to this dealing day. Dealing with like, that trauma. Yeah. It's not. And it's actually really difficult to even say that word. You know, like my my therapist um, was kind of talking about all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, that sounds like institutional trauma, like I was describing. And I was shocked. I was like, no, I'm <laughs> happy. I smile all the time. I laugh a lot. You know, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. But, like, yeah. the events I was describing and, like, the, the physical... Effects that it had, like the physical manifestations mm. that I experience again, like every day, yeah. is suggests some kind of trauma. So then, stepping away is the best thing, you know. Yeah, um,
0: taking care of yourself.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> How did it change your teaching? You said it, your teaching fundamentally changed. Can you talk about that?
2: Oh my goodness! Yes, I can. <laughs>
0: i'm just yes, curious I what can. what changed
2: well when i was going through school i was so interested in negative feedback
3: like <laughs> i critical, wanted to yeah i wanted
2: feedback. yeah all the criticism like give give it to me tough <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah and what's kind of what what i kind of wish I had done was approached it from a place of curiosity and joy because I kind of already knew what I was sucking at. Like I actually (laughs) didn't need that feedback at all. I already knew what I was struggling with. Sure. Um, and I actually, to be honest, I already knew what to do to fix those things because I was so laser focused on all of my inadequacies as you often are when you're going through these programs, you're like, well, this isn't good enough. I got to get this working. Got to get my for trumpet specifically. It's like endurance range, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and then there were all these other things I was really good at, uh, that I was just completely ignoring. I was like, well, that's already taken care of. Like, I don't want to have to, you know, go to these other aspects that are actually incredibly important and um, actually tell you a lot about who you are as an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to approach, I I try to say really nice things to my students. Like I try to encourage them a lot. And and not lies, like I'm not like blowing smoke up anyone's ass. Like there's always, there is actually always something really significant and positive to say. And you actually learn a lot through that. Um, and those positive things can give you the courage to look at the negative things in a different light, Yeah, you know? Um, and I ask a lot of questions too, I guess.
0: Of your students or of yourself or both?
2: (laughs) Of my students. I ask them so many questions, you Um, know, to like reflect, I guess. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One Um, of my mentor teachers always said, when he was, I was in grad school and he was, you know, I was in a pedagogy program. So like learning how to teach and he was like, I was like, say three positive things first <laughs> before you say something critical yeah. to the student. And that really stuck with me. It's a, it's an art, I think, as a teacher to say what they need to improve on in a constructive, compassionate way.
2: Yeah, it actually takes quite a bit of work as a teacher. Like I realized I wasn't working hard enough. Like I I, I was just kind of like teaching them what I knew, Mm -hmm. which actually isn't always the best, like (laughs) because I'm a different person. I have different goals. I have different skill sets. And I, I just never had a teacher ask me, like, what are you interested in? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I just was just trying to impress my teacher. Like, Get I was c- kudos. Exactly. I was like waiting for the accolades.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. But like, I didn't really have a sense of self. And when I think about like some of the greatest artists of all time, they had such a well defined identity. And even as oh, it yeah. evolved, it was, they really took a lot of time to figure out what they were trying to say. And I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out what my teachers thought of me. And uh, that was time lost, actually. Like, I, mm. I, if I had just followed some of my own interests a little bit earlier, and, like you know, regrets. Regrets aren't a good thing to think about, I guess. <laughs> but I that is a regret. I'm, I wish sure. that I'd spent more time thinking about what I really care about, which records I really loved. You know, mm. what drew me to certain records, what drew me to certain artists, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Do yeah. you have students who don't know? Like, if you ask them that question, what are you interested in or what do you want to pursue? And they're like, well, I've... that's what you're for. You're my teacher. <laughs> Tell me what to do.
2: So, it's so interesting that you say that because that was my fear. Because I used to think that type of teaching was lazy. It's like, oh, well, the student's just going to tell me what to do, and then I do it, you know. (laughs) Um, But I don't know is a great answer as well. Mm. Because I don't know gives me an opportunity to try and find out. Um, And I'll just, like, say a few things, like recommend some records, recommend some artists, some tunes or whatever if we're thinking Mm -hmm. about jazz specifically.
0: yeah.
2: And then all of a sudden things start to percolate. I actually really love it when my students are brave enough to say I don't know because Mm -hmm. usually at that point like when they're 18, 19, 20 they're kind of trying to impress I guess. I think when they're younger they're not like teenage like teens and young kids like when they say they don't know like they're like yeah you're my like you're my teacher here like come (laughs) on like I I'm just here my parents sign me up I like I don't even know if this is what I want to do like yeah what do you got for me but in university they're like paying money you know so they know they have something inside of them that Mm -hmm. is leading them to go through this rather long expensive process of going to music school right so it's a good practice for them to deal with the I don't know first and then get past that, you know. Right. Yeah.
0: I love that perspective. That's really cool.
2: <laughs>
0: Are you teaching trumpet specifically or jazz or what is your what do you teach exactly?
2: I teach I teach a few things. So, okay. um, trumpet, mhm, <laughs> voice. Oh wow. And I also teach a singer-songwriter class, ensemble. Um,
0: wow, that sounds interesting. Oh,
2: it's so fun. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's you know, I, I, I feel like a real facilitator because mm-hmm. I'm really just trying to create opportunities for students to create things. I'm not necessarily telling them to do anything. It's more like I give them parameters to work within. Mm-hmm. And those parameters can sometimes feel like a very safe place to land with ideas. So then students can kind of explore their own thoughts and feelings and, and I get them to write a lot, like every class we write, almost every class. And I tell Mm. them to write about a certain topic for like 20 minutes and they just go, and and it's, and it has to be, you have to let it go afterwards. It's like, it could become something special or it could just be ideas just falling out of your head and disappearing, you know? Mm. Like just getting that, the wheels turning.
0: Yeah. So you so, give them yeah. a prompt.
2: Yes. Yeah. Usually, um, usually something quite specific. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if I say like, write about love, like, oh my God, <laughs> like what a horrible prompt. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: what's, a, what's an example of a prompt you would give to your students?
2: Mm. i one prompt that I did was, um, like, I, it was actually two prompts. So okay. for 10 minutes, they had to write about almost like a diary. It's like, what, how, what, how was your day? Like, like that day specifically. So for 10 minutes, they would kind of just do a confessional diary. It didn't have to sound like a song. It just had yeah. to be a, a literal diary
0: entry. Diary entry, entry. yeah.
2: Um, and then the next ten minutes, they had to do a diary entry, but as someone completely different. So whether it was a family, it could it could be someone they know, it could be a fictitious person, mm-hmm. um, it could be a celebrity, it could be anyone. It's just yeah. trying to get inside of the 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 body and skin of someone else in that same yep. confessional way, you know. Yeah. So that kind of gets the creative mind going. It's like creating a character essentially. Yeah. With an entire identity and thoughts and feelings that are separate from yours, you know. But isn't actually separate because it's coming from your own psyche. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then do they then edit that? And then how do you start putting lyrics? Like what's the what's the process of getting it to a song then?
2: Well, Curious. it's usually up to them whether they want to turn it into a song. Okay. Usually what happens is they read their work out loud. And at first, I'm like, maybe they won't want to do this uh, because it's personal. Writing's personal. But yeah. as classes have gone on, I, I noticed how eager they are to share because they're really proud of what they did. <laughs> like they're like, I discover because like that's what happens. As an artist, you write something and some, something amazing strikes your brain and you have it on the page. and you don't want to keep it to yourself. You're like mm. people have to know <laughs> they have to know what I did I want that I want to share it like that's like the most beautiful thing to see is yeah. ha- having them create something and want to put it like externalize it you yeah. know like it's very exciting I bet yeah
0: that sounds so cool
2: <laughs> I try
0: I want to <laughs> take your class <laughs>
2: yeah I love I, I love teaching that way I love I do love teaching even though I think of myself as you know I'm a, I'm sure most artists say this I'm an artist person a teacher <laughs> but I don't know they're kind of just they just occupy different spaces for me you know but important spaces
0: yeah it's interesting the people that I've interviewed that do both and some like do you know Clarence Penn
2: yeah yeah, yeah so Clarence
0: was talking about how like he went to Banff and like um, he got asked to teach and he's like, I'm not a teacher and then he goes there and and he and then at the end of it, the guy running it was like, Well, you're a great teacher. Like
3: <laughs> and then he kind
0: of found like he really loved teaching and now he's down in Miami. He's mm-hmm. like teaching at um university down there. So Yeah. It's just really cool how people come to teaching. Some people are like, I'm going to be a teacher. And then like, that's their, that's their gig. And then they perform and they write. And then other people are like, you know, like yourself, it's like a mishmash of, they're all, sounds to me like for you, like writing, performing, teaching there, they occupy a similar plane.
2: They, they do. Now they do. Now they do. (laughs) But before I really, I felt like I really needed to compartmentalize them. Like they do kind of occupy different spaces, but at least they're on the same plane. Right. You know, um, and they all inform each other. And that's something I used to say about it, but it didn't, that wasn't true. (laughs) I used to say like, oh, you know, when I teach, I become a better performer. When I perform, I become a better teacher. Uh, I wasn't actually practicing that. I was saying that because it sounded like a good thing to say, and I Mm -hmm. thought I, and I actually thought I was doing it. But then when I examined how I was teaching, I'm like, you know, you're not really like this when you perform, you know, Mm. you're, you're being a little, a little too, like I, I I taught a lot out of fear because I learned a lot out of fear. So I'd be afraid for them. It's like, if they don't know this, then what are they going to do if they don't know that? They don't right. they, what, how are they going to survive? If they don't know how to read, if they don't know how to, um, you know, like I just, I was just so worried for them. Yeah. Um, and then I realized like that you don't need to be worried for them. And you also do, if they're not doing well for a moment, that's actually okay. <laughs> they're struggling. Um, and it's not actually a reflection of you. Cause I'm sure a lot of teachers Um, myself included for a long time. It's like if my students aren't doing very well, then I must be a bad teacher, you know, or you're just worry about your own reflection in your students. And actually it shouldn't be your reflection at all. Like it shouldn't be you. (laughs) It should be them, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, So like I don't like the idea of being a teacher who has like a roster of killer students who like all sound the same and, and like have like a school of, like the Tara school of trumpet yeah. playing or singing or writing. And then you can kind of identify little things that come directly from me. Like that feels really unhealthy. Like, yeah. Like a weird, creepy legacy. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know? Yeah. I find, I hear, I totally hear that. And I know I play saxophone, teach saxophone and there are definitely, I have a very small studio. <laughs> <laughs> most of the time, and because I don't really go out and like recruit or anything, but um, mm-hmm. and there's some people that have like massive studios and they just churn through. And what where I find um, what I find one of the most challenging things is to is be true, be authentic to the student, and then also like pushing them or motiv- like somehow trying to motivate them. You know, it's yeah. like this. It's like this weird dance where. And, and I think there's, I don't know if it's just experience or magic, but there's some of my mentor teachers who could do both so well.
2: Yes. <laughs> That's a, so I'm just going to get my computer charter. It just like all of a sudden like, oh. I saw my batteries just, but I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> okay. listening and I'm very present, but like I, um, uh, it's very true. That's like a very interesting, it is like a difficult dance because you want to, students to really feel like they're they're going they're kind of punching above their weight sometimes, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. Like yeah, to yeah. just go
2: for things. You don't want it to be completely just like going into a padded room, you know? Like yeah. if you want yeah. there to be like a little bit of struggle and a little bit of um like you want you want I guess aspiration, what's yeah, the word? Yeah. And I was I've been thinking a lot about that as well. That mm. Like, how do you push a student successfully? And i you know, I still go through that journey myself. But I feel like, I think about the times that I wanted to be better.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was usually because my teacher was so excited about something.
3: Mm.
2: You know, they were so passionate. Like, I would see them perform and I would hear them talk about this thing. And then i kind of be like, well, I want... I want what they're having. Like I want that, <laughs> and then I would just work so hard because they were presenting this really beautiful um, idea to me, or or just like a concept that I hadn't thought of before that, that clearly was very meaningful to them. Yeah, um, and that actually made me work so much harder then the fear of getting a bad mark or the, because usually when I would like learn something out of fear, it would, I would learn it for the moment. And then when it was done, it would just disappear. I like could sure. never do it again. You know, um, I didn't really internalize it in a healthy way, but when I cared about it, Oh, like I, all the things I really cared about stick with me to this day. And the things I didn't care about and I didn't find a way to care about it. It just like, I don't even know where you know usually with certain tunes i felt like i had to learn like i don't even know (laughs) i didn't know what happened to those you know i learned it for class and an assignment and that was that you know
0: yeah from her album some version of the truth here is swimming address or do you address this? I'm thinking about, um, conversations I've had with other musicians around the importance of historical learning, like of really, you know, going back to Charlie Parker or, uh, you know, even before that to Sidney Bechet or, mm-hmm. you know, Louis Armstrong. And like that, that, the, the, there's this tradition and this lineage that's important that, you know, you need, you need to study, you know, um, and I, 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 I still question that a little bit. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with it, <clears throat> but I do, I question if that's true, mm-hmm. um, because no, some of my students, quite frankly, aren't—they're not interested in Sidney Bechet. They're not interested in, not interested yeah. in Charlie Parker. Uh, they might not even be interested in Miles Davis, God forbid. But
3: yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, but I like to find what they're interested in and then mm-hmm. go deep with that. And who was it recently said? It might have been Donnie McCaslin or Joel Fromm. Somebody mm. were saying, well. You know, if you're interest, if you follow your interests, probably the end result of that is you, eventually you'll go down that path. But I, I don't know. I'm curious what if you have thoughts about that whole train um, of thought.
2: I do. I, I do. I do think that at a certain point it does trace back. It does trace back. It does. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm learning that now. Whether you want to go down that road or not is the is the that's actually where the the issue is. It's like right. if you decide to go back, you'll find it there. Um you'll find it with some of those innovators of of jazz. Uh, mm-hmm. And and like even through other music it filters back to a lot of the same people. Yeah. Um and I think the the thing I I want to avoid doing as a teacher is is to say you have to do this. But again, going off of this place of encouraging,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's like, it's almost like I want to present the, like understanding the lineage of jazz or any type of popular music. Mm-hmm. as almost like a YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> if I, <laughs> I were I to compare <laughs> it to something, that's how I would want it to be. It's like yeah. you check out something like a record, maybe that's like a, like a recent like release of like someone who's like a little bit more like of this time who's mm-hmm. let's say jazz famous like the Iyer or something. Or,
3: yeah, I don't yeah. Know.
2: Um, and then you kind of were like, okay, well, if you're into Iyer what about these like five other people? And it's like okay, and you click on one, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Great. Oh, cool. And then you like see another five people, and then you click on another, and then you kind of like curiosity leads you yeah. to these really amazing places, you know. Yeah. Like like Vijay that. led me to Sun Ra, you know. Like I was into his stuff and some of the stuff that he was talking about. I was like, oh he has a really different approach to piano. It's very different. Yeah. It's not based in this like very specific jazz lineage or a certain technique of the piano. It's entirely his own. And that led me to thinking about musicians who kind of created their own universes out, like outside of the institution, which are actually quite many of them. You know?
0: Yeah, a lot. And
2: yeah, and I think of like the AACM. I think of, um, you know, I, th- I think of, of people who've just decided to kind of innovate within themselves or within the community that they were surrounded by. Um, yeah. And I don't think I would have... I don't think I would have gotten there if someone was like, "You have to check this out." Right. It's just kind of like, again, a facilitation of getting there—a facilitation. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's actually a pretty long and patient process. I think that's an, I think like a lot of these issues would be solved with patience. <laughs> like right. honestly, like I I think about the amount of things people told me to check out in school, and there is absolutely no way. I could have just learned the entire lineage of jazz music or popular music or improvised music in the four years that I was there. <laughs> no There's <kidding>. no way. <laughs> and and the amount of guilt that I felt for not knowing, mm. you know, not knowing yeah. enough or not knowing the real thing or the authentic thing, whatever that meant. Um, again, that was time wasted me worrying about people thinking that I knew enough. Um, Yeah. When, you know, I think about some of the records I really cared about or the artists I really cared about back then. And again, they stick with me to this day. And later on, they kind of led me down these rabbit holes of like, you know, like checking out. Like Charlie Parker, for instance, like there was a lot, I mean, people talk about Charlie Parker so much in school, you know, the Omnibook, you know, (laughs) the the Omnibook, everyone has one, you know, and like learning these bob heads and different keys for, you know, like uh, my students, I remember they were, uh, a few of my students for an ear training test, they, they came, came to me and they're like, I have to learn this, you know, confirmation or, or something Mm-hmm. I can't remember which. I'm just using a yeah. placeholder. Yeah. <laughs> I As can't remember example. which one. Right. Yeah, and I need to learn it in four keys, and and then the kind of fear in their eyes of, oh, yeah. of you know, like the. I really love confirmation. I think it's such a beautiful, really casual. I think it's like one of the more casual. Yeah. Bebop heads. It has like a lot of like. Like pull back and <laughs> it's like all the right, it just feels really good.
0: It's not like hyper, super, yeah,
2: hyper. <laughs> it's not hyper. It has like these very, it's it just kind of jagged in this really beautifully, it's jagged but melodic. I don't know, I think it's yeah. a really amazing. Um, bob head, and in my head, I'm like, oh, they don't have the time, they don't have the time to really love this. They, they have to just learn it in four keys for right. an assignment. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, you know, like, like curriculum's curriculum. You have to jump through the hoops and stuff. But it made me sad that their experience of confirmation was like, if I don't learn it in four keys, I'm going to get, I'm not going to pass. Rather right. than like, oh, I'm listening to these cool things that are happening. And they're, they're these interesting shapes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you do a lot of transcription? When you were younger?
2: <laughs> this is, you know, it's funny. This is like a, co- well, I don't know if this is a true controversy in the world, but like everyone has their um, thoughts about transcription. Yeah. Um,
0: this is so true. Yeah. I'm anxious to hear yours.
2: <laughs> I have decided for myself, because it's different for everybody else. Yeah. Is I only really care to trans- transcribe things by ear now. Only by ear.
0: Not uh, writing them
2: down. I don't want to write it out yeah uh, I don't it's just it's just my process mm-hmm.
0: it's just
2: I, I don't think I don't think me knowing all the notes written down and knowing all the chords and actually like as in like really like dictating them or, or mm-hmm. just yeah notating them really makes me a better improviser or mm-hmm. Um, I really I think he, really hearing it, Gives me a little bit more, more of an opportunity to kind of put it in different contexts, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, notation, I have, like, a lot of feelings about notation these days. About the importance of it and, like, where it comes from and why that has to be, like, the the, rec- the record, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel, I have lots of mixed feelings about that now. Sure. Um, and I also don't know if you need to, like, really do entire solos, like, this idea, of, like, I need to do the whole entire solo. It's like, what if yeah. you just took, like, one chorus or like a section of it that you really loved, right? You know, or like something that you wanted to get a handle on. It's like, oh, I, I want to be able to improvise in this way, yeah. like with more kind of like, a, like if you want to put names to it, like a pentatonicy sound or whatever. Sure, and you got into like some some Woody Shaw, or, you know, like kind of exam, like just taking like a few of his phrases can actually get you really really far. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, like, I well, what have people said to you, I'm curious about this.
0: It's a mixed bag, Tara. And like, <laughs> I've been, historically, I never wrote out solos. Mm-hmm. Like, I I was blessed with a really, or am blessed with a really good ear. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a musical family singing and lots of music and could match pitch and blah, blah, blah. So I leaned on that. I've leaned on that heavily yeah. and it's been it's been a great uh, resource for me in all kinds of situations but I didn't I've not really written out and then I had a student bass player Garrett Baxter who's a great bass player here in Oregon and he was like he's like I write he's like I write them out because it's faster like I can get to it faster if I mm-hmm. write it out and then I can really start to digest it and I was like, "Huh, that's interesting. I never considered that." Yeah. But I'm not that like what you're talking about patience. I'm not that impatient mm-hmm. uh, about things. But there's definitely camps like um, some people like, you know, um, Joel Fromm transcribed this yeah. Jimmy Griff Jimmy Griffin. Like, that was his first big thing, and that's, like, sent him off and running. Like, he had his mouth wired shut for a year and just, like, spent, like, all this (laughs) time. And some people are like, I never write it out. Like, it's really a mixed, and it's almost like there's two camps. And Jeffrey Kieser and I were talking about this, and he was like, he reflected my belief, which is, like, everybody is different, and whatever works for you you should do it. Like if you like writing it out and that works for you, write it out. if you like learning it from here and that's fine. But I think the thread and every, what everybody is saying is like really learn it. Like really, if you're curious about confirmation or um, Woody and you, whatever solo you're doing, Mm -hmm. like really learn the shit out of it. Like go deep. And sort of what you were saying, like what I find the value in transcribing anymore is what you were alluding to earlier, where you're putting on, you're kind of stepping into the skin of that person and their Mm -hmm. personality. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna be Clifford Brown. Like I really wanna be, you know, step into his persona and how he phrases and how he, colors and shapes and like, really, can I really like uh, get that persona? Yeah. And the character to me is the most interesting part. Like the notes are, the licks and all that is like, that's, that's fun. And I think there's value to it. But for me, it's more like a character study. So that's where I am. I'm like, I get really into one thing. I'll listen to it forever before I even bring it to the, the horn yeah. And then I just start really diving in, and because my I have such a developed ear, usually after I've listened to it a bazillion times, it doesn't take long, yeah, to get in the fingers. But that's that's kind of the there's like these two camps, and most people are like, you must do this, and you other people are like you must do this. Yeah. And there's a few of us in the middle. I I don't I don't like the word must so much. So
1: yeah,
0: I just like. I know it's good for me, and and I ask my students, like, you know, what... I try to encourage my students when they're first doing it, don't don't think about writing it because yeah. it just adds another layer. And, like, just, I think, personally, I feel like, especially with young students, they're not doing enough from the ear because yes. they're taught to read. I have arguments with the middle school teacher about it's all the time. <laughs> like, we should just not give them music for, like, several years. But that's my... It's not really practical in a certain sense.
2: (laughs) Yeah. There's, you know, I had, yeah. I mean, I hear (laughs) you. I hear you. Like, mm, I had a discussion with my, I had a discussion with my husband. He's an incredible piano. My husband, Chris Pruden, he's Mm -hmm. a piano player. And we both went to UT, um, and we were kind of talking about music school today. Actually, we're having a discussion about it and like, um, like what, what what its identity could be or or should be. Mm. Should and must are kind of not <laughs> right. Uh, could be. <laughs> could be. Um, and I think about my time at music school and, and and what came out of that. That was really interesting and and positive in a sense. Was uh, and you use the word as practicality. So mm-hmm. I was just given a lot of tools so that if I was in different situations, I would be able to like, uh, efficiently deal with them. So yeah. if someone gave me music to learn for someone else, I would do it with maybe one rehearsal or none depending. And then, um, play a good jo- I do, I do a good job. I do a great job. You know, um, mm-hmm. it helps with nerves. It helps with, um, Just again, it's like tools that give you a little bit more capability in those moments, and 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 that is something I was really grateful for. But it's also a double-edged sword in in the sense that like when you gather all these tools, sometimes they could be barriers as well. It's like uh, walls that are put up. Um, And uh, like I I remember wanting to really be impervious when I was a student, like really idealizing that. It's like if I go to the gig, I want to look like I know exactly what I'm doing all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to be the best at this, the best at this, the best at that. Um, and then kind of, I remember saying this to someone else, like kind of shaving off any hard edge to me so that I could kind of play different styles, different genres, and I could yeah. be whoever you wanted me to be. Um, and if you want to be that type of musician, and there's definitely a place for that, yeah, uh, that's great. But in terms of making art, that's like pretty detrimental. Like it can be bad <laughs> because you just... Have all you? You just don't know who you are anymore. You're like, oh, I, I could be like a hundred things, but right. what am what am I actually like? What do what am I actually trying to say? Um, and for me, these past few years, I'm learning that, like, when I kind of unwind some of those skill sets that make me like a legitimate jazz musician, there's like some really interesting stuff under there that i was really trying to hide because i was like oh that's not gonna be cute that's not interesting or that's not like that's not gonna fit or um and even now on like the music that i release it's like definitely not in the like i don't play straight ahead jazz as my art form even though i love it like i i know how to and i and i actually i'm not one of those people that Learns jazz and then stops playing jazz because they don't like it anymore. <laughs> that happens a right. lot with jazz yeah, musicians. Does. You know, they kind of veer off into another direction. It's like this is who I always was, and jazz is lame. And that always makes me sad because, like, jazz is not. It's so like I don't even have words to describe how much it's given me, um, and yeah. how like how deep my love for it goes. Um, yeah, and I just yeah, I I think jazz is really fa- even if I'm not actively per- like playing it uh, in its most traditional sense, I think it's amazing. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I do yeah. too. I think we need a new word. I was thinking about this because I was listening to. Do you ever listen to Tom Power? Yeah, yeah. On CBC, so he yeah. interviewed Winton recently. Yeah, And um, Wynn was, you know, Wynn's very opinionated. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he Wynn says that jazz, the way he defines jazz is swing. Yeah. So if there's a swing, if it's swinging, that's jazz. Yeah. And everything else, not jazz. <laughs> so, uh, which, fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. If anybody has a right to maybe say that probably is Winton. Yeah. But I feel like we need another like improvised music doesn't really capture it either. I don't know. Yeah. I'm it's so I think it's hard um for people like yourself who do sort of genre bending or blurring music. Yeah. It's like what is it? What do you call it? Is it pop? Yeah. Is it rock? Is it jazz? Is it improvised music? Is it EDM, is it, you know, like, we have to, it's like, we have to call it something, I guess. But I don't know. I just feel like we need a new word. I don't know what it is.
2: (laughs) I mean, you're probably, I mean, I'm sure you know this very well about the controversy of the word word jazz and some of its implications and its origins and conversations, you know, Nicholas Payton Mm. being like this big proponent to changing the name, not using it at all. Like when you look at Nicholas Payton's Instagram feed, I like there's, <laughs> he'll, he'll post something every day about like how that word has destroyed the art form. Like, it, like it, it's such a hot button issue right now. I, I feel, I feel like it is because, um, it can be really confronting. Like the idea, I actually had a moment recently where I have like a like a radio show that I do like a community radio show. Oh, you do?
3: That's awesome. I do.
2: Yeah, it's a, a um I, um I'm on hiatus right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> hiatus meeting I haven't had time to, to do it as consistently. Mm-hmm. Um but it's I do it for fun. It's like a, a passion project that I you know, like there's a a great community radio station of independent artists in Toronto and they asked me to do a show and I call it Anti Cool. Uh, and I, I, I really love that show because the point of the show is that it's about, it's a, I call it a genreless radio show where I just play mm. whatever I want and there's no mandate to it. Except sometimes I'll have a theme show where I'll do like all Broadway or all comedy or all, you know, like <laughs> I, I just, it's like all truly out of my own interests. And yeah. um, I was, and I do a segment called jazz is cool. So I play uh, a jazz uh, tune uh, from whatever kind of era of jazz. You know, it could be imp- free improvised music or however yeah. you want to call it, or or it could be straight ahead. And then I get my niece and nephew to comment on it, ah. and and they always have really nice things to say. Like they're not, they're not like you weird or mm-hmm. you know, they have some like really beautiful thoughts about it. And I. Because I, I just know so much, not only about like the art form, not that I'm a true historian of it, but yeah like I know so much about it and I know so much about the systems that kind of keep it going. That is, it's really, it, that word jazz has like now it's, it has a strange effect on me, you know, hmm. it's not entirely positive. And I, and I yeah. wanted to do that segment to, to get back to that place when I was, listening to it for the first time and I was just noticing things almost childlike. Yeah. And, and it helped me kind of look at the, the art form differently. It was, it was very cathartic for me after a year of doing all this work within the institution and really hitting some walls and hitting some really like, um, pretty like, uh, difficult people, Mm. um, very resistant people who didn't really want to look at, you know, the implications of that word and, and what, what, you know, like I am sure a lot of com- conversations about the commodification of it and, you know, how certain communities yeah. have not benefit. you know, like it's a big, it's a big hole when you get into it. So I was, I just wanted to learn how to kind of love it again through someone else's eyes. And, and I don't know how I feel about the term. I'm very split on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, whenever I hear Witten talk about jazz, I just kind of smile. It's because, yeah, he has like earned the right to say whatever he wants to say about it. And he's right. like, um, there's some, there, and I actually also like appreciate that he's really trying yeah. to define it. Like he's like, it, you know what? It's, it's going to be swing. Like I, 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 I like that he's kind of deciding to draw a line for himself. I, yeah. I don't know if there's something nice about that. You know, and as as long as he's not prescribing it to other people, like because everyone's gonna feel differently about it, but I I kind of you know, people have their feelings about Witten, but I have like kind of a soft spot. I have a soft spot too, because I re- he was the first trumpet player I ever listened to when I was a kid, even before I was like getting into jazz oh, really? and yeah, and I remember I think the first record was standard time. Like when it was like
0: standard like was, time volume one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought oh. it was the greatest thing ever. I was like, and then I, and then I heard him play like the Haydn concerto and I was like, Oh, he <laughs> can do both. So I, I was just so bowled over by how gifted yeah. he was that,
0: yeah. you know, Super his opinions, talented.
2: I was kind of like, well, whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not mad about his, his intense opinions, you know? Yeah. yeah. No,
0: I, 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 I've, grown softer over the years i had a little resistance to him for a while because Mm -hmm. it seemed like he was so like you know absolutist about it in a way but i get it i get i get what he's trying to do i really appreciate what he's his his mission yeah is and and that's it's really it comes from a really beautiful place so that's you know i have have to honor that so
2: it seems to. I mean, I answer the question like, I think 99% of jazz is <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of things. It's this, it's yeah. that, it's, you know, and so sometimes it's nice to hear someone say like, actually, it's this. And I'm like, right. whoa, I'm like, <laughs> wow, I can't believe he just said that. Like, I'm excited by, <laughs> by him knowing something about himself that I just haven't gotten to,
0: you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I want to veer a little bit to uh, some quotes that I, I heard you say in another interview. So, um, and this relates to I think your your work in equity and and being um, being a woman, being a brown woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so you had this quote like you you're, you were motivated or you're somewhat driven in the past by doing things so people don't bother you
2: yeah oh yeah
0: (laughs) what i'm (laughs) curious what 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 you meant by that like people don't bother you is that that they don't notice you or they don't like what i'm i'm just and if you don't want to talk about it that's fine we don't have to i'm just curious about that sentiment
2: oh i'm i'm happy to talk about that um There's a lot there because, I, I, the way I grew up, like I think many, kind of millennial type, and older, mm-hmm. um, artists who maybe grew up in a communities that were predominantly white,
0: right? And you grew up in BC, and I'm yeah. gonna pronounce it wrong. Killaw. Oh,
2: Chilliwack. Chilliwack. Like the band Chilliwack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like a predominantly white Christian, white Christian, um, I'm a, I'm a a Sri Lankan and Buddhist. So like like uh, growing up, I just didn't really see anyone like me. And in the arts, what I was doing was kind of classical music. Like that's kind of my entrance into it and Mm -hmm. performing in churches. And, um, I was just kind of surrounded by a thing that wasn't me. So.
0: And were you aware that. It wasn't you. if that makes sense?
2: Yes. And that's the part that I was really trying to get away from. Like, I really was all about assimilation when I was a kid. Hmm. Um, because difference, especially back then, and I'm probably, and before that, I'm sure, but like in that particular time, difference wasn't celebrated that much. It was just. It was remarked upon, but it was always kind of seen as like a little dangerous. Dangerous is maybe like a loaded word, but like I just mm-hmm. remember feeling like I want my lunches to look like everyone else's lunches. I want to talk like everyone else. I, you know, I don't want to have an accent. Like I was, it was pretty like intense when I think about the amount of effort I put into looking and sounding and acting like everybody else because I knew that being a little bit different just made things a little bit harder.
3: Mm.
2: Um, And my parents knew that too. Uh, And so they really encouraged me to kind of really embrace kind of a Western, Western sensibilities, I guess. Yeah. Um, And that translated in everything. It's not just music, like every facet of, of how I moved about the world. I was just trying to be like everybody else. Um, And I also was one of those people that, uh, used to say it's not about me being brown, it's not about me being a woman, it's it's merit and merit alone um, and I don't believe that anymore <laughs> <laughs> I also think like merit is a funny word, you know, a lot of conversations about that yeah. word, like what is the standard you know right? Um, and I just really wanted to meet a standard that was like essentially a white standard like it was a white standard, every standard it was like how I looked and like the mm-hmm. music I was playing, even though it was jazz music, because I was uh, taught predominantly, actually exclusively, by white men. I was actually kind of playing like the like my white male teachers, um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and this is not a knock on them because many of them were amazing and taught me a lot of things that I I still carry. Yeah, but I wasn't really engaged with my own identity and my own. Um, and, and, and and when I did, I would, I would notice people noticing and I didn't like it. I was like, ah, I don't want to stick out. I just, Mm. I don't want to answer those questions because I was deeply ashamed, you know, and Mm. of like what I was running away from. And I was, um, and that is something that took me a really long time to come to grips with is that I was just so afraid of being different, you know, mm-hmm. and people talking about it and asking about it. And, um, and also the other side of it too, is because I grew up in North America, I didn't really feel like Sri Lankan enough. So if people did ask me questions about it, I, you know, there, there's definitely white people out there that know way more about Sri Lanka than I do. Like I didn't yeah. grow up there, you know? Yeah. So I like wanted to kind of occupy a space where people thought I was great and nothing else. Like they have no curiosity, <laughs> you no know, thing. It's like, oh, Tara's solid. She's a solid human being. She knows how to play. She can do all the right things, yeah. you know? Um, and uh, not really delve deeply into who I am. Uh, Cause there was just a lot of stuff there that I didn't want people to see, you know?
0: Here's another one from some version of the truth. This is the house where I live.
1: I took a look around my house and I saw the paint was chipping. I saw the paint float to the floor, the ground was turning blue. I scraped the walls until all the I walked into my kitchen and I saw the pipes were dripping, the water rose up to my knees, I couldn't stop the flow, I let the water I stepped into my garden and I saw the crows circling. I watched their beaks break through the ground and steal the seeds I sowed. I.
0: brings up this other point of the culture versus heritage, you know, mm. it's sort of like you're Sri Lankan, but you're also Canadian, you know, you're, yeah. you grew up in Canada. You were born in Canada, grew up yeah. in Canada. That's your, you, one could say that's your culture Yeah, because that's what you grew up in, but yeah. your heritage is Sri Lankan. Yeah. And then there's that those, yeah, I think you even said it being caught between the two worlds, you know, mm-hmm. like how do you balance that equation?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I didn't until recently discover that that's like a category in itself, you know, like, oh, oh you could just be both things. Right. <laughs> like, you, you could know a little bit about that and a little bit about this, and, you know, and not even equally. Like, I know much mm-hmm. more about. Western culture than I do best Sri Lankan culture,
3: right? you
2: know, and it's like a, like, it's like a, a slow, another patient process of me kind of understanding how I fit into my own Sri Lankan heritage and lineage and, and getting in touch with that in a very thoughtful way. You know, I, I am happy that I can kind of, and also these categories, you know, it's funny, like thinking about <laughs> categories, right? Right. I feel like I was talking to someone about this recently. Um, like, what, what were you saying? It was, I think like categories are kind of going out of style a little bit, you know, yeah. I, I think they are I so. like, I, 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 yeah, I really hope so too. Like I remember like five years ago, even people being like, Oh, you have to name yourself and you have to say who you are and like where you're from and what type of music you do. And, um, and like I understand why people say that. It's like, oh, when you put out music, what category is? How will people find you? Da, 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 da. And I'm actually noticing more and more that people are kind of moving away from that. And I'm really happy. Like it's happening all over. Like all over our kind of. I mean, I, I should say like it's just seeped into like society. It's like the way people are kind of just not looking at a person as one thing. Yeah. You know. And. I love that. I'm, I'm all about it being a bit blurry, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend and I were having dinner last night and I was saying, and, and I fully acknowledge that I come from arguably the most privileged spot on earth Mm -hmm. being a white male in North America, making money and having a house and a, car and like, you know, privilege far beyond, you know, (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. so
0: I just acknowledge that. But then there's this, maybe this naive part of me that's like, can we ever just see each other as humans? Like, can we ever, can we ever just get to a point where it's like, there's a person and they, they do X and they have value and I have value. And I don't know, it's just an interesting thought I was having and like thinking you know growing up <clears throat> I was a child of the 70s and 80s and thinking like, have we got have we really progressed like
3: <laughs> yeah
0: you know have we gotten any better in some ways yes in some ways no
3: yeah
0: I don't know it's just an interesting thought I was having after and considering our interview today I don't know why it was just sort of like can we can we just see each other's as people as humans
2: uh, you know I have a lot of <laughs> Excite. I mean, it's in different, different in different parts of the world. But I can say, kind of within my own community in Toronto, I have a lot of faith because of the students that I encounter. Mm. They just seem to be. Maybe it's like a what a Gen Gen Z
3: Gen Z thing. Yeah.
2: Gen Z, I you know yeah, they just seem to have like cultivated these really rich personalities that they don't really feel the need to define, you know, as, as much as I remember doing, yeah. like, you know, what's funny about this is my, one of my closest friends, she works in, um, like market research. And, uh, I think she was her and her team were, they kind of do a lot of these like focus groups where they, mm. And it's really interesting because she, there was like a new diet thing, like a diet cereal or diet, whatever. And millennials, and I can kind of say this as one, like really care. I remember like all the millennials I know, they seem to really care about categories. It's like, you know, like what? are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? Are you a Libra? Are you Scorpio? <laughs> are you, are you like a introvert? Are you an extra, there's always like a name for something. And yeah. like, I know like that I'm surrounded by people around my age that really care about those types of things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to kind of, um, categorize this cereal for, or they wanted to promote it for more Gen Z, like just, you know, younger, yeah. younger people. And, their, their researchers, they were, what they yielded from the focus group is like, yeah, we don't really care about like diets, you know? <laughs> and then, um, so they're like, okay, we're going to do like an anti-diet type of promotion. And, and the, so they kind of came back with this idea of like, or I think they did. I'm kind mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah but like, I, I, yeah, like this idea of like, oh, like, like, if you hate diets, this is the cereal for you. And then the Gen Zers apparently came back with, like, well, you can if you want. <laughs> like, we're not anti-diet. We're just, right. like, you know, and I loved that. It's, like, that's so wonderful. It's not like that's, you're – it's not an anti-thing. It's just, like, you can take it or leave it, and it's your decision, and it depends on who you are. And and that's, like, something that I wanted – you know, I'm sure every generation has their own sets of strengths and, and, and kind of inadequacies and in quotes. It yeah. sounds harsh, yeah, yeah. but I think one of the youth strengths is that it's like, I'm like a bunch of things and I'm going to maybe decide to hate this diet and then, but maybe in five years I'll want to do it and that's totally fine. And, right. and I, you know, I love that approach, you know?
0: Yeah. More fluid. Yeah. For sure. Um, what is your, what is your, um, like practice, practicing writing habits? Like, do you have a, do you have a, uh, routine that you do when you're getting ready for any project or can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Okay. Yes. Because (laughs) (laughs) it, it, this is also a big, um, Oh, sorry. There's so many sirens uh, right. today. My condo like overlooks a very busy street in Toronto, so it just seems like there's some some fires to be put out. Maybe some, it's real some life. Cops, cops, and robbers, I guess. Right. <laughs> um. So I will say, so i waiting wow. for. Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's very present.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. There we go. Um, this was like a really big transformation for me in the sense that I used to be super rigid about my practice routine. Yeah. So rigid. Like and I and very anxious. I was an anxious mm. practicer like hours a day um would you write out, out a like Yeah, right now routine. Totally. All those things.
0: <laughs> Metronome, all of it.
2: Yeah, and I'm like I have to touch the trumpet every day. Every day. Um And then the pandemic hit and I just stopped playing trumpet for like a month or two. Mm. Like just didn't even touch it. And then uh, one day I was like, I just feel like going back to it. I just feel like it. And then all of a sudden I like wanted to do it a lot. Uh, nice. and I got way better too. In this, like, like all of a sudden, like there's these new things that I was examining because it wasn't for a specific result. It was just because I was curious yeah. about the trumpet in a way I wasn't before. And now I'm doing this. Now I'm, this is kind of a thing I'm doing where I like have a moment with the trumpet, like a moment, like a love, like a, a love affair where it's like
3: mm-hmm. a few
2: months of intense practice. Um, for no reason other than just following, following the thread of curiosity. Yeah. And then when that's done, I leave it. And like, I'm, I'm in one of those down periods now where it's like actually been like, like, you know, I've like touched it here and there. But in terms sure. of real practice, like it's been about a month mm-hmm. or longer. Um, but... I haven't needed, like I'm not performing regularly. So I don't feel that anxiety. I'm like, I'm kind of like doing other things. So like musically other things. So I just don't have to worry about that. So I'm like, okay, I'm Mm -hmm. just going to leave it until the next time. And I'm coming upon a time where it's happening again. Like I'm starting to get curious again (laughs) and I'm really excited about it. I'm like, okay. And I, I'm also going to Banff in January for like an entire month to do a residency and I'm just going to take my trumpet there and just like be in the Mm. mountains and examine it and try to develop new routines. And yeah, you know, like I'm just trying to not think of it as this thing that if I don't touch it, all of a sudden I'll be the worst (laughs) trumpet player in the world. Like, it's just like, it
3: doesn't,
2: you know, I don't want to feel bad all the time. When I used to feel bad all the time, I was like, Oh, I just, I didn't play.
0: Yeah.
2: I hope no one finds out. (laughs)
0: When you go to Banff, will you be writing or playing or both?
2: I'll probably be writing mostly, but playing a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of those more open-ended residencies where I'm just like one of the artists in residence where I can kind of just make my own skit. Like it's just days, completely open days where you like sit in a cabin and you can write music and just explore your own. You don't really have to yield anything. I hope to, like you always go into these things hoping that like you're gonna, you know, write your next big, you know, (laughs) magnum opus or whatever, but maybe not, maybe nothing will come of it. Um, but just having the opportunity to think and examine is, you know, a gift. Yeah.
0: When you write, do you have like a, what's the right word? Like, do you. Where do, you, where do you start? Where do your ideas come from? Like, Do you record stuff into your phone or do you do you like what you said with your students where you have like a topic you're exploring or how? Can you talk a little bit about your writing creative process?
2: Well, one thing that has been very helpful for me is I participate in a writing class. And it's kind oh. of a community-based class. It's not like a class that's in any institution. It's actually like a friend of mine is a writer and she oh. has writing classes. And I go every week or every few weeks. Um, and it's good to, as a teacher, also be learning in a different mm-hmm. way. And I'm learning how valuable that process has been. Um, because that's like mostly a fiction writing class. Okay. So that also takes away some of the pressure. I'm not writing... It's not a songwriting class. It's a fiction writing class. Right. And so it like forces my brain to do something like slightly to the left. And that kind of just creates all these new avenues and opportunities for me to explore like musically later later on. Like I return to some of those classes and some of those concepts a lot and I incorporate it into writing. Um but the real process for me is time it's like having the time to think and feel and that is more time than you think it's like <laughs> I'm not I, I can't do that thing or it's like well I'm right on the weekends like that doesn't work <laughs> it's like too yeah. much pressure it's too much pressure it's like I only have two days to write the most amazing thing. It's more like, no, now I really try to take that seriously where I'm like, Well, I'm gonna actually take a week off if I can. I schedule it I schedule it in so I'm a week off of teaching like every few like like every semester or something. And just yeah. like I'm not gonna do anything but just lay around and if ideas come to me, I will be ready for them. You know. Yeah. It's like, I will be a vessel for the week. And and it does not look glamorous. It's me, usually me watching a lot of TV <laughs> and uh, eating a lot and going for walks, you know, and, and cleaning obsessively because there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. But in, in that process, something will come. Mm. And then I have the time to explore it. Mm. And
0: a thread will come to you.
2: The thread, yes. The thread. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. And do you do you normally flesh that out at the keyboard or do you sing? Like where do you have certain place you go with those ideas to develop them?
2: Yes. The, I, I think I write at the piano. I like writing at the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I feel like the piano can be translated in so many ways in my brain. I can hear it. Like I start there and then it can go somewhere else, you know? And Mm -hmm. I I kind of love the earnestness of an acoustic piano. (laughs) It just is a really, really classic, classic support system,
0: Yeah,
2: (laughs) classic harmonic support system that I can kind of lean on. And I like that it's tactile. Like I like that I can see all the keys singing and trumpet playing is a little mysterious because it's, you don't, you don't, right. You know, you don't see it all. Yeah. Um, so it's usually at the piano and singing and then the trumpet stuff usually comes. That's the last, that's the last step is that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Did you start on piano? Where did your music instrument start? Did it start there?
2: Yeah, I loved, and I loved the piano, I, and I still love it. I, I can't really play it very well anymore, but when I was a kid, I just thought the piano was so, well, I still do. I think the piano is amazing. It's like an orchestra. There's so, <laughs> right. you know, it's just so, there's so much depth and expression, and, um, like, it's so dynamic. You know, I, I think there's a lot to the piano. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that it feels multi-dimensional in the same way that like a horn does, and uh, um, I mean, all all like I'm sure like every instrument has its thing, but I just think of the piano is so multifaceted, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Were your parents musical?
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, and and what's cool is even though they're not musical, they were so supportive. They thought they, I think they really. And they, they, they still are so supportive. Mm. And I, I think they really appreciate... Um, I think they really appreciate the kind of... the thoughtfulness of being an artist and, and mm. how you're always trying to find something, you know. And I, I think that's what I have in common with them is that, you know, I've used this word a lot today, but like curious. They're naturally curious people. Mm. You know, my, my dad is or he's, they're both retired now, but my dad was a researcher and my mom, she worked for the government, but in Sri Lanka she was a lawyer mm. and they're just naturally quite interested in the world and nothing is ever kind of static for them. Like they're just kind of always looking, looking deeper and not yeah. always forward. Sometimes they're just like kind of sinking into ideas and, and I think that they really respect Art because that's basically what, what artists do is they're just examining and, and yeah. being critical in a positive way like just a, you know that type of analysis and finding something new
3: you yeah. know
2: <laughs> like it's incredible I and mean, it's an incredible yeah. process so they I think that's what we have in common is 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 that side of it so I think they always encouraged that you know
0: yeah yeah do you have siblings?
2: I do. I have a a brother, an older brother, mm-hmm. and he's a neuroscientist. Okay. And so he's, um, or he studied neuro. He's like a doctorate in neuroscience, and now he does something else, kind of in the same vein,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, but uh, or similar vein. Yeah. And uh, same thing. I mean, he was a researcher, so yeah. you know, and and sometimes we'd have conversations, and he would talk about like he would be working on like a like a research about strokes and stuff and Yeah. And the amount of dedication it takes to examine something and try to see it through for years. Yeah. And then it may not yield a single positive result or a result you're looking for. It's like right. so risky. And it's the same as in music. Like you could put like years into something and you put it out and it's like, like doesn't matter or whatever. It's not what I wanted it to be. Like if you just take these huge swings, yeah, you know, these massive swings. And I think like, again, my parents really respect that. It's like, if you're going to do something, you just
0: go, for, go it. for
2: it, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: That's really awesome. So when did the trumpet enter the picture for you?
2: <laughs> you st- um, the trumpet entered pretty late in the game, and um, I have to say that my love affair with the trumpet has been really up and down. Uh, like, the beginning, it was not a love affair at all. It was just me uh, picking a band instrument in middle school,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I didn't even want that one. I wanted to play the saxophone, but my <laughs> brother was already playing it, and so...
0: Oh, your brother played saxophone.
2: He played saxophone. <laughs> he was pretty good at it, too. Um and so I was like, I guess I'll play the trumpet. I didn't really feel a, a particular affinity to it. It was only, and I wasn't very good at it for a while. And then, and then I just started to kind of take my time with it, and, and I, I wanted to be good at it, you know. Um, but I, but back then I wanted to be good at it because I didn't want to sound bad. Because the trumpet can just sound horrible, like when you're <laughs> not playing it, like oh well, yeah. oh my god, like. It's so embarrassing. It's not, it's embarrassing. It's and, like, yeah, well. it like when the saxophone doesn't sound great or when the <laughs> piano or bass or drum, like I swear to you, like nothing, <laughs> like the way that a trumpet can sound bad is like, like very few instruments in the world. Yes. And so exactly. it's like, I got to avoid some embarrassment here and, and put in my, my, my best foot forward. And it took me a really long time to learn how to love it. But when I love, when it, when I love it, I love it hard. I think it's one of the greatest instruments that, that's ever been created. I think it's just so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a. It's like taking a big swing. It's a really mm-hmm. vulnerable instrument. It's like it you can really fall on your face, or you can sound like the greatest thing in the room. Like it's when you hear a trumpet player sound great, yeah. people just cannot even contain themselves. <laughs> it's so powerful. It's like, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an amazing instrument. But it, it has, it's for me, very up and down. Like I don't have a very like consistent relationship with it emotionally. You know, mm-hmm. some, some moments I, I really don't, I don't feel connected to it at all. And other moments like, you know, like I said before, yeah, I can't stay away.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, what's coming up for you? Like we're, we're approaching the end of mm-hmm. 2021. Is there, Anything you're looking forward to in the coming year? Any projects or anything?
2: Yeah. Um, luckily, uh, I was given some resources um, and time to create kind of a large scale project. So I'm in the process of shooting a film that has my music in it. And um, Wow. Yeah. Are you directing
0: a... it or what's your role in the film?
2: Well, I wrote it. And I'm like, wow. uh, uh, I'm I, I my the director's like, oh, you're like a co-director, but she's really the director. Like she's really, like I'm kind of standing and agreeing with her because she's amazing. So it's <laughs> a, um, but I wrote it and then I um, I wrote all the music for it and I am acting in it. It's like a narrative film. Like it's wow. not even like yeah, it's it's so it's like he, this really large scale project. Small in terms of the film world, but large in terms of like the small like independent music
3: world.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, like it feels very. Um, it's like a very large scale project, and and like the the crux of the narrative is it's like a semi autobiographical narrative. Yeah, it's like a narrative film about like my experience as like a second generation brown woman growing up. and and kind of trying to meet these like white standards of success, I guess. So like, and and in, and in it, I'm kind of like a, a less developed version of myself. Like when I was younger, kind of like trying to impress people, trying to make it, trying to do all these things and, and realizing that I was always falling a little bit short. And one of the big reasons was I was like really denying a lot of those special things about myself. And, Mm. um, and that's kind of what the film is about. Um, so it's interesting kind of working on something that's really about you, but also a little bit not about you. Like it's really, spare. Uh, it's quite therapeutic, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do
0: you have yeah. a title for it?
2: Uh, it's called Extraordinary People.
0: Ooh, so, I like it.
2: Yeah. And I have, uh, um, I'm, I'm releasing an album in conjunction with it so like all the mm-hmm. music that's in the film can still be released in this album and um yeah it's like ambitious we're we're learning this me and my my friend Brittany Farhat, who's the director she's mm-hmm. such a she's a genius and we're, we're like really it's it's a real independent venture like we're doing most things and Boy, oh boy, is filmmaking <laughs> harder than music making. Really? Anyway, it's it's like a million. I, mean, I don't know. Level, huh? It's just because there's so many more things you need to think about. Like yeah. visual and audio. Audio and visual. I guess. It's yeah, just like yeah. and long hours and um you just need there you just need a lot. You need a lot to make it feel just right.
0: Yeah.
2: Um yeah. and it's really specific. Everything's so detailed and and music you actually can get away with not being very detailed and kind of letting certain things go and with film even like a pretty free form film that we're doing there's still actually a lot of things that you need to have figured out sure so um, but it's exciting because i'm like a child again because i'm doing something i've never done before so learning yeah learning yeah it's it's learning's fun yeah. when you want to learn when you want to learn learning is the greatest thing you know
0: And so your hope is it'll come out like summer or fall or you don't have a release target.
2: We can't like, I mean the goalpost keeps moving. It's funny. Like (laughs) we're like, it's going to be out this year and like, there's no way there's just so much work to do. Like it just takes so, so much more time. So we're hoping, we're hoping summer of next year. That's like fingers crossed. So we'll Mm -hmm. see. Um, But kind of like, you know, I'm actually not as much, like I'm not as, I'm not rushing the, you know, the patience thread of this podcast interview. Yeah. like I think I just want to move through it very carefully. Yeah. And then when it's done, it will be done. You know?
0: Yeah. Do you th- are there any performance opportunities coming up for you next year? Or do you hope to get out and perform some?
2: I I think so. I think I'm doing some like jazz festivals in Canada for sure. Um. But I'm actually really. I'm really into this whole not performing a lot thing.'m mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really into that. I, I kind of like I kind of like just doing one or two incredibly special, interesting shows and and maybe like a tour that's really thoughtfully done. Yeah. but um, I'm actually really trying to move really carefully because I don't really want to go back to how I used to be, where it's like, I gotta be out there touring right. and being at all the shows, like, I don't know if I actually function very well that way. Yeah. So I'm hoping for a few gems, I guess, next yeah. year.
0: It's a common theme. I've heard of a lot of musicians saying, you know, I'm not, Steve Smith comes to mind. He, the, do you know Steve Smith? the drummer? Yeah, yeah. 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 So he lives here in Ashland, my, where I live in Southern Oregon. And he was saying he's really rethinking the whole, being on the road and, like, show after show after show. and He's not the only one. There's a lot of, like, you know, the pandemic has given a lot of musicians time to f- reflect and go, you know, do I really want to be on the road and go, 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 and show, 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 you know?
2: Yeah. yeah, like, you can be a musician without anyone seeing you, you know? It's not the old <laughs> adage of, like, if when the tree falls in the wood, like, did it ever, it's actually, it is still a tree. Like, right. it still makes the sound. It's just that the tree, like the tree hears the sound. No one else does. So, like, I want to be that, I want to be that tree that will, like, make sounds for myself. And when, when I want to, I'll share it with people. And then, yeah. you know, I can enjoy it just as much as, as seeing other people enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: What do you what are you most looking forward to for in twenty twenty two?
2: Oh my goodness. Um I'm really looking Well, I you know, I went through like a really big transformation and I think I'm just at the beginning of it. I'm really mm-hmm. just at the beginning of it. It's like I I think I I think next year it's like more of discovering who I am.
3: Mm. You know. That's i I'm, I'm
2: yeah, I'm looking for i I'm looking forward to some self discovery. And especially since I'm moving away from kind of institutionalized teaching. Um, again, no judgment. I, yeah. I don't want to be one of those people that judges. No, no. Like it's you know, like for me, my music making approach, the way I am kind of moving in the world, I want it to be different. You know, because now I feel cool about it, and I feel like I'm kind of just a young kid again, Mm. in like a new skin. And so I feel like I want more, more exploration. You know, I don't have any career goals. I guess (laughs) I don't have. I don't think I have a career goal right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I love. I love. I'm excited for you. Oh, for next year. That sounds cool.
2: Sweet. It's very kind.
0: Where can people learn more about you? Where's the best place for them to connect with you?
2: Hmm, At the moment, I would say Instagram is like Mm -hmm. the best. It's kind of the jumping off point of like finding stuff. So my Instagram, I guess my name's so long. It's funny when I quote my Instagram, it's like (laughs) at Tara, T-A-R-A dot K-A-N-N-A-N-G-A-R-A. It's like ridiculous. Um, So that's, where you find me um and on bandcamp i really you know i'm like many artists now who support bandcamp sure. a lot because artists get a nice chunk of it
0: right um, you're actually getting the revenue instead of spotify
2: yeah you know <laughs> it's just you know it is like i understand
0: that yeah. i
2: understand there's things like amazon and spotify and uber and like you know <laughs> like, i understand with the world we live in i i understand that like people are going to find music there um yeah. But, and also you can find it um, on Bandcamp and other places, you know.
0: And are you on, you have a YouTube channel?
2: I do have a YouTube channel. I'm on the YouTube, you know. (laughs) I'm not really on, I'm not on Facebook. I kind of left Facebook. Mm -hmm. Although I think I reactivated my Facebook account (laughs) because I was playing um, like an online video game with my husband. (laughs) And so you have to sign in through Facebook. So I just signed in through Facebook. So that we could play that game on our, our mobile phones, PUBG, okay. it's called. But I actually haven't checked my Facebook in like months. So it's like piling up. Okay. And I kind of like that I'm not, I'm just like letting that, I might just deactivate it again until I there like play, play yeah. that game with him again. So
0: <laughs> Twitter or TikTok or any of that?
2: I'm not, you know what? I'm not, I am on Twitter, but I don't really check it. Uh, usually when I'm more active with shows and I have things going on, I kind of hop back on and yeah. TikTok. I don't know how, how to do it yet. I, don't know. I think I can't, I could do it. Um, uh, yeah. um, I, I don't know how much yeah. room, you know, like I think they, I only have room for like a few platforms at no, a time. I'm, I'm totally yeah.
0: with you. I'm totally with
2: yeah. you. It's, I, I think it's amazing though. I, a lot of my students are on TikTok and like my friends, honestly, like it's, older and older people are like engaging with it. And I I do think it's the most creative out of all the, you know, I think Twitter and uh, TikTok are actually the most creative because again, the parameters are interesting to work within. So I I think they're very cool. It's just like, it's a lot of creation. It's like (laughs) so much, a lot of work, you know? So I don't always need to be found, you know? Right. No. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I hear you. Any, any parting words?
2: Oh, I don't know. I would say I would say uh practice music joyfully. Mm. You know, joyful. Yeah.
0: yeah, I love the quote you quoted John Cleese some there's some quote you gave on about John Cleese about being creative and being playful.
2: Yeah. Yes. Playfulness. I think being playful is the key it's like kind of re-examining it's like if if you were making art in the most present-minded way where you're not thinking about the past and you're not thinking about the future and you're just Mm -hmm. in this like that to do do that and have the space to do that is the the true joy of of my artistic life that's actually the most fun ever yeah
0: awesome Tara, thank you so much. Oh, thank Uh, you.
2: This was a lovely interview. (laughs) It was lovely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's good. Great to know you. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the film and anything else that comes out of your creative mind next year.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for listening. So appreciate you being here and supporting me throughout this entire year, supporting these artists by listening to their stories, listening to their music. Hopefully you were inspired and moved. And if you were and you're enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you listen, whether that's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, you name it. uh, We're out there. And if you enjoyed this episode in particular, share it with a friend. Go to theplayfulmusician.com. You can send them the link uh, or just point them to theplayfulmusician.com. They can listen to all episodes there, including this one, see the show notes, see past show notes, um, share the love with someone if you particularly liked this episode. We're taking a break for the remainder of the year, so we'll have new episodes coming out in the first week of January, but we're going to take a much needed break and enjoy the end of the year. Enjoy your holiday season. Happy New Year to everybody. And I look forward to seeing you all next year.